0: I don't want a big ol', I just want to ride on my motorcycle. And here we go. This is the Nokamoto Podcast. It's been three weeks since we've recorded, but I'm pretty sure this is episode 190. Now, at the beginning of the year, I thought the week before May Vintage Day's we would be on episode 200 either the week we went to Vintage Days or the week after. So we're about, right now, nine episodes behind where we would have been if we'd stuck to our regular schedule this year. So sorry about that. (laughs) It's been a weird year. But, you know, hey. We may drop off the face of the earth for three weeks, but this show will never just go silent on you out of nowhere. You, if we're going to quit, you'll know. So whew, sorry we've gone because we went three weeks before the last episode dropped as well, and it's just not cool. So even though it's been that long, I think this is episode 190, but I'm not 100% <laughs> sure. Anyway, I am your host, Moto MotoGP, and with me is your other host, Swiggy. Yep. And whew, we are here to do the worst podcast in the world. It's, it's not on a regular schedule. We don't have regularly planned content. We've done almost no preparation. But nonetheless, we still have a lot of show for you this week. We're not going to do any MotoGP because eh, it's been a few weeks. No one really cares about the results. I think the week that we come back from Vintage Days... We should do a silly season talk and you know set up the second half of the season. But for now, I think we can just let it lie. Um, we've got some ride reports. We've got some in and out uh, bike news, bikes that have been coming into our lives and out of them. We're gonna do. Uh, Best, worst bike in the world this week. And we have a bit of a new challenge this week. And maybe we'll see how this goes. This might become a regular part of the show also, if this goes well enough. I had this idea that we should adopt the opposite view that we normally do on some things, just arbitrarily almost for fun. Uh, it, it's sort of like a legal exercise, you put it, Swigs, right? So we, we've each come up with a list of things. And we're going to challenge the other to defend those things. And these are things that we're sort of known for disliking. And I think we'll put it up to the Patreon uh, supporters we'll put up a poll and see who wins. So if you want to know who wins, maybe you can become a patron and check out the poll. Okay. So, who what should we start with? Do you want to start with best worst bike swigs? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so before we start best worst bike, I am going to put out a request that everybody rates and reviews the show. We have so many more listeners than people who I. We used to have a really high rate for the amount of listeners who left reviews, but I. We've like uh, since we got our last review, we have I don't know how many percent more listeners, but yet no more reviews. There there should be more reviews. Uh, Well, actually, no, that's not true. A bunch of, uh, like, 40 people left us reviews on Spotify when I asked them to. Okay. Can we get, like, another, like, 200 people to do it on Apple, please? I I know you're there. 200 would be a slice of you. Wouldn't be even that significant. It'd be nice if you could. Because... It's your cost of admission. I haven't said this for probably two years, but we put a lot of work into the show, and your cost of admission is just to go and click five stars and maybe say something nice. And then you can sit back for the rest of your life just just on the gravy train, just living easy, knowing that you've done your part. Okay. Now, having said that, we can start best worst bike in the world best bike in the world this week this is the segment of the show where we have each chosen a motorcycle we don't know what it is it's always a surprise we will reveal it to each other and that's just going to go that way okay these we, we reserve the right to be wrong okay but these are just going to be our opinions but we're just going to assume that they are also the correct opinions Because it's our show. All right, Swigs, you have best bike in the world this week, right? I do. Awesome. Really lucky that we got this right this week. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and are you ready to reveal it? I am. Okay, let's hit the drum roll. And the best bike in the world this week is... The 2022...
1: Kawasaki KLR650.
0: Oh, I've heard great things about this. What would you like to tell me about it?
1: So, let's talk about uh, some changes. Uh, Do we have new wheels? No. Did we upgrade to a six-speed transmission? Also no. Does it have a higher compression ratio? It does not. Did we get to dual front discs? Uh, No, we did not. So in total, very little has changed on this bike. The actual things that have improved is that there's like another two degrees of rake. Um, It's still 38 millimeter forks. Uh, I think they made some airbox improvements. They switched to fuel injection and they went to a digital dash with a couple of uh, USB charging ports for charging your phone. And that's basically the new bike. I mean, we got some new bodywork, we got a slightly bigger stock windshield. But for the most part, the bike is the same as it ever was.
0: And this is exactly exactly. what you should be doing. Well, yeah. So the idea was, is the KLR was something that was near perfect before for what it was supposed to do. And how many years did they have the last version of it until this one? Like 10, 12? Uh, It was around there, yeah. Uh, so apparently the big things they did, some people complained about the frame on the last one. So they strengthened the subframe or something like that. So it like did better with luggage. Was that one of the things they did?
1: Uh, they might have, I know the, the swing arm is a little bit longer as well. And they increased the wheelbase a little bit. Um, but but it was
0: minor tweaks.
1: It's all minor tweaks. Right. Um, they do have ABS and they do have like a dirt friendly ABS option which I assume means that you can turn the ABS off. Right. And that's about it. Um, They did go to the digital dash, which it's... I prefer analog instruments whenever possible, or even fake analog instruments. But um, it's not a TFT display, which would be ridiculous. Nice, Thank you. Um, But for the most part, the biggest change is that it's now fuel-injected. Right. And really what they've done is the absolute minimum updates they need to be a new bike in 2022 and pass Euro 5 emissions. But they didn't decide, oh, well, it needs to handle better on the street or it needs to be this high-performance off-road vehicle. So we better beef up the forks. We better increase the ground clearance. We better mess with the compression ratio maybe we need to get it a little bit lighter. Let's, let's get down to one and a half quarts of oil instead of two and a half. No, they kept it the way it was because this bike has its place and it's the intersection of price and performance and versatility. Is it great at anything? No, it's a very serviceable off-road vehicle. It Is probably not super fun to ride on, you know, on I-70 at 85 miles an hour across Utah. But it'll go on the highway. It'll go off-road. And it will do it cheaply and cheerfully. So they didn't try and turn it into something ridiculous like we see with all the flagship adventure bikes. And, you know, people complain that this bike is heavy. But if you're comparing it to other things in the, like, the adventure category it's like 480 pounds wet. Right. As opposed to 800 pounds. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, if you're going to call this heavy, you have to call a Gen 1 R1 heavy as well. Exactly. So what I think is significant about this is this is the closest in design philosophy I can conjure at the moment that is similar to the Mazda MX-5 Miata.
1: That's a good comparison. I like it.
0: The Mazda Miata has gone through, I think, six different versions, maybe seven. And I think it was in like 2004, Mazda said, we are intentionally not giving the car any more grip we're not increasing or decreasing braking distance. They've they kind of stopped a lot of that. They went, no, we've got the car where we want it. Could we do this for safety reasons or whatever? Like, okay, but then we're going to like lose the, you know, the ability to drive this car on the track so well, or it'll become less relevant for the, like, this is the driving experience that is optimal for fun and enjoyment. And we're going to kind of keep it there. And so every new version of the Miata is sort of, well, we've moved on enough in time that it makes sense financially to be using these parts and phase out these old parts, right? Right. or Or to keep, or to preserve this driving experience, we have to move it to this new fuel injection system or this new emissions control system, right? We will only make the changes we have to to sort of preserve this experience and if there is something that wasn't we were not able to engineer a solution for in the past maybe we'll have another go at it right it's like it turns out what's happening
1: here this new parts bin ecu solves all of our problems you know it gives us a little bit more power delivery but we're doing it because it doesn't cost us any more money to do it yeah, we're or not, even
0: if it can give us more power, we're just simply not going to enable it. And hey, that's a great little easter egg for some tuners. Yeah. Cuz I don't think the the Miata's really gone up in power much either. Right. I I think they're just kind of preserving the experience. Well, there's that, but there's also like you know, there
1: it's so if you look at like if you look at like a modern R6 and You imagine, where is that bike going to be 20 years from now? It's probably going to be in a junkyard or parted out. Because at some point, you're going to be trying to fix 20-year-old traction control and 20-year-old ABS and a 20-year-old ECU and a 20-year-old IMU and... You're just going to be looking, and you're going to be looking for 20-year-old performance parts. And at some point, it's just the labor. I mean, this is actually true for, like, early 2000s superbikes right now. You might be able to buy a GSXR 1000 for, like, three grand. Then you'll put seven grand of parts and labor into it, and now you've got a halfway decent bike. It's but something like this, that's a single cylinder, modest parts, not high performance, this will last into the apocalypse. And it comes at, I think the, the low price on this is 6700. And if you got all the luggage and you got the ABS on the adventure model, it's like 7700. right like it's it's still a ridiculously modest proposal to buy one of these brand new. And if you want something new that you're not going to feel too bad about dropping on the trails this is just a fantastic option.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it pay 20 bucks a month more. In your payments and get a Himalayan that you know isn't going to break. Right?
1: Right. Yeah, I, I love this. Uh, also, something that will have all parts in stock at virtually every motorsports dealer. Yeah. It is not hard to find a Kawasaki power sports dealer
0: anywhere. That's true. Yeah, the Kawasaki really does surprise me with how many dealerships they have. They're just all tiny. Mm. I've never seen a I I know they exist, but I personally have never walked into a Kawasaki dealer that was more than 1400 square feet. I just haven't done it.
1: Uh, Well, G-Force down on Colfax in Denver is pretty big.
0: I thought they were Yamaha. Uh
1: the oh oh no, you're right. They are Yamaha.
0: Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. An adventure Kawasaki down the road here that bailed out Liza. That that's like that's like nine hundred square feet. <laughs> that place is packed with little bikes and yeah. So anyway, uh, the KLR. The, the other thing I like about this bike, and this is going to sound like a dig at Kawasaki. But I, I kind of like and dislike the, um, the bad design of the KLR. <laughs> I'm going to say it. it I, when we first saw what this bike was going to look like about two years ago, Uh, they were showing us pictures of it in like digital camo and stuff, and things that kind of really hi- were hiding the shape of it, and there were blacked out ones we were looking at and gray ones and whatever. But to now see them in red and green and and all these co- like it's a bad design. Because it doesn't matter whatever is going on, look at the, the old KLR 600, look at the first gen KLR 650, look at the last generation KLR 650, look at this one, and then look at any other bike that was around five years before that particular KLR version hit the market, That's what the, the KLR is always five years behind what's happening. Right. Look mm. at this design. We've got an angry insect headlight. We've got angular bodywork on the fairing, deflecting you know wind from the hands a little bit, sort of. We've got that ridiculous um design with the windshield where it kind of like cuts in and then cuts out wider again. It's all shit from five years ago. All That's of true. it. And because it's kind of the it's the budget adventure bike, and the design reflects that. Like it really is through and through the value for money adventure bike. And and, and and but here's the fun thing about cheap design. Cheap design becomes fashionable again at completely unpredictable moments. You know, we were talking about the Norge and how, in a world of hyper angular and angry looking bikes and all this stuff, the Norge is starting to really grow into its looks and and sort of look very classy and everything with its nice smooth Italian edges and rounded features, right? Yeah, and you know the Italians, uh, Ducati, um, Moto Guzzi uh, Vespa, uh, you you know, Ferrari, Lamborghini, like any auto, you know, Italian design, they spare no expense design costs money. It really does. You have to find people who will look through the history of these vehicles and where trends go or trends have gone in the past, really analyze and come up with a design philosophy for the whole vehicle and Pretty much all these Italian bikes age – well, except for the Ducati Street Fighter, they all age very, very well and predictably. They age like wine. Even if they're not the greatest-looking bike right when they hit the market, they always age well and at a certain number of years really come into you know, a nice aesthetic. And – Japanese bikes are just – they they skimp on design. They they excel at designing the engineering, but for the aesthetic design, it's just not highly valued. And I, there's a few exceptions, but for the most part, that's just something they don't focus on. And that's something we, – but well, yeah, they randomly like the, um... come back into vogue right, because yeah. the design is so frenetic and just of the moment. Yeah. Well, I mean,
1: I don't think like – I don't think a Super Blackbird is going to look pretty in the
0: next 30 years. <laughs> that's the weird thing, though. It might. Yeah, Who right. thought the Supra was going to become a super cool design ever?
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: But The Supra was just a goofy-looking car until Vin Diesel drove one. And now anything with that sort of Japanese-rounded long hood thing... Is kind of but but just the randomness of Vin Diesel driving one in a movie, right? Mm. It's just all over the road, Japanese. So in that respect, I think the KLR is kind of fun because I, the last gen one still isn't all that great, but the first gen ones are kind of cool now a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: The rounded edges did not work well on the on the Gen Two. I will say that.
0: But who knows in seven years, right? Yeah. Um, There may be
1: somebody out there who who does like a C90 Adventures type trip and they say, no, I want the carbureted version because I know that we can repair that on the side of the road in New Delhi. Right. And I don't have to wait for parts
0: or, Mm -hmm. you know. Deep in, well, also you could just, I mean, on a a Gen 1 KLR 650, I bet there's a huge just number of random carburetors you can throw on that bike with their standard jetting and it'll just work. It may not work exceptionally well, but it'll, it'll work.
1: Yeah, but it'll get you out of like a village of 500 people in Bolivia. It'll get you to the next major part of civilization.
0: Right. If if you can just get someone to understand the words Royal Enfield and, (laughs) and, 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 and Carburetor, I bet you can throw something on. All right. Let's move to worst bike in the world. You ready?
1: I'm ready. Let's go.
0: Okay. And the worst bike in the world is any 50cc scooter. In the United States. So, I mean, we can just say the Honda Metropolitan, which has been a best and a worst bike before, I think, both. Anyway, um, but 50cc scooters. And it's a very, very simple reason why. And we're really just going to have to dig into the dynamics of this one single point. The majority of Americans do not recognize the rights of unmotorized vehicles on the road pretty much at all anymore. And they are fast starting to become oblivious to the rights of low-powered vehicles as well. And this is a disturbing thing because there's really... uh, almost never been more of them near the roads and what you see is people riding things e-bikes and such that really should be on the road that are on moving onto sidewalks and front yards and parking lots and other things and the roads aren't being used correctly and it's My becoming an philosophy. increasingly dicey proposition to take a vehicle with a max speed of 28 to 32 miles an hour out onto the road because drivers don't give a flying fuck and it's not even the top speed it's the lack of acceleration and that maximum of like 4.6 horsepower that is real is it 4.6 or 4.2 it's 4. Point something horse in most states or whatever it is um i i think i think we need to up it to 80 cc's personally um but it just everything can just accelerate so fast right dad's mm. subaru just destroys the ferrari off the line or quarter mile or whatever, right? It's actually, it, it's a pretty specked out Subaru to be fair. It's the 3.6R, it's true, but but still, I you know, yeah. it's a it's an Outback, I right in a world where an Outback beats the Magnum PI Ferrari, right? So, well, like,
1: when a budget when like the absolute budget car is still like 160 horsepower and at least a hundred foot pounds of torque. Yeah, it's
0: right. And so why is the Navi 110 CCs? Because 50 CCs isn't enough anymore or it's getting that way. Mm. I love the concept of 49 CC scooters that, requ- that don't require a license. I love that. I, I love their cheapness. I love their fuel economy. I'm, I'm not hung up on the speed. But the speed of traffic around them is starting to really be an issue. And I'm, I'm kind of seeing less and less of them and more people switching to e-bikes. But again, then they're riding e-bikes – at 30-something miles an hour, either in, like, rain gutters, on the shoulder of the road, or on sidewalks. Like, areas where it's not safe to be going that fast for traffic, pedestrians, or the person on the, on the vehicle.
1: For me, with e-bikes, I, I'm basically, like, full sovereign citizen on this. Like, you should be able to go basically anywhere that isn't private property, you should be able to blow stop signs and red lights.
0: You can in Colorado now. Oh, really? Yeah, that changed like a month ago.
1: Oh, cool. Well, I've been doing it anyway. Right. Uh, <laughs> if you want to cut through the park, if you want to like, yeah, yeah, cut the corner, go through the gas station. Don't even go through the signal. I don't care. I. The only thing I say is, you know, if you get hit, that it's just 100% on you. Right. You've got to take full responsibility for it, but absolutely. I mean, if you ask me, I think we should be able to take 50cc scooters on the sidewalk.
0: Um, okay. Th- there's a compelling argument for that, but I think. I think you can here's do what it more you're giving up. If, if you're electric. giving up your rights on the road. Because, so, uh, I'm sure you've heard Dad gripe on about this, but he, you know, he's been collecting these stories recently. He's really been into riding his bicycle around town. And great, I applaud that. And he, at least once a week, has someone honk at him and tell him he shouldn't be riding on the road. Just for the benefit of anyone that may not be aware, or just needs a reminder, if you live in the United States, or Britain, or... (laughs) probably Australia and almost anywhere in the world, really anything that's not a highway, you are 100% allowed to ride a bicycle in the middle of the fucking road. And not only that, you have more right to be there than any motorized vehicle. Motorized vehicles are on the road by license. Bicycles are allowed on the road by right. They cannot take away your ability to ride a bicycle in the middle of the road. You can get pulled over a hundred times for riding a bicycle drunk, but you're still allowed to do it. Well, not ride it drunk, in the, but ride a bicycle. They cannot, there's no license for riding a bicycle.
1: Yeah, they can never take your bike away.
0: Right. Yeah, they can arrest you, but they can't seize the bike, right? <laughs> and you're still allowed to ride it. it. It's you, there is, you have 100% uh, priority legally, but the population's fucking forgetting it. And they're forgetting it so much that, um, they, uh, that, that scooters are starting to like seriously lose respect on the road as well. I, I don't understand the whole, this whole thing with bicycle lanes and people go, we need more bicycle lanes around town. No, you don't. You can just ride your bicycle in the middle of the goddamn road. And guess what? There's not a goddamn thing anyone can do about it. And, okay, you might be a little slow, and you may not feel super good about it. You can train yourself up, trust me. Uh, It won't be that long until you're rocking 28, 30 miles an hour just on your regular road bike all over fucking town. Trust me. Well, there's that, but also, um, most of the time you should be
1: fine. I mean, unless you're in like a really, I mean, Greeley here is a grid system, and it's super car centric. But there are plenty of ideal bike routes to get to places. They're not exactly the same as the car routes, and that's kind of a good thing. You get to go a little bit more direct, you go through more neighborhoods and side streets, but you don't care if you're going only 20 miles an hour, and it all works out. Um, The e-bike is good, especially if I need to cross the freeway, just to be able to go on like 35 or, or 23rd and then just put the motor on and keep up. But, yeah, it's... I mean, it's fine.
0: I mean, um, uh, a few weeks ago, I was blasting around town doing a bunch of errand, errands on um, on Claire's Vespa 125, which had about the power of your, your Stella. So it's like eight, eight and a half horsepower. It'll just barely hit 50, and it's got... A zero to 40 that's as good as any car in town and i was passing people all over the place i was faster than most car traffic and that's because you know that that scooter can do 50 and it can get up to 40 real quick and i'm still okay with that but getting down to lower power is starting to become dodgy you've got to you've kind of got to be a seasoned rider And by a seasoned rider, I mean the kind of person that just has that sixth sense about traffic around you, right? That can that has done it long enough to to judge the speed of that car coming up behind you, and it's like I got to move two lanes over, you know, and look at that car and really know how big your gap actually is, and what your the differential in speed between you and that is, right? Mm -hmm. The eighteen year olds that should be riding these scooters around don't have enough experience to to do those kind of judgments on the fly.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's well, it's that counterpoint of, you know, yeah, no kid should go out and go buy a leader bike with no experience. But also like, you also probably don't want to be riding like an old two fifty on the highway either. Once you get low enough in displacement, it actually takes more skill.
0: Right. And I I would like... i. So we can't slow down all the cars around us. That's not going to happen, right? Speed limits are only going to keep going up. And so our options are, we've got to make it we've got to make scooters that can go a little bit quicker or abandon the concept altogether. Really now in very, very big cities, it, this isn't this weirdly, I I would probably be way more comfortable riding a 50 CC scooter in the middle of Manhattan Mm. than I would around Greeley. Right. You know, this is why scooters work in like Bangkok. Right. But for I think most towns in America, they're just not working the way they were intended anymore, or they're starting to really lose their effectiveness. Now I think we're in like a golden age of one, two, five and one fifty scooters. And I think all the electric scooters coming around that fill that sort of speed, like gap, you know, that zone are very, very good. But I, I'm specifically talking about motorized vehicles that you don't need a motorcycle license for. They're, it's becoming dicey. Yeah. And the low-powered electric ones have an even bigger problem in that they don't even look like they should be allowed on the roads. Well, first of all, I think you need at least two wheels to be on the road. Like, fuck the one wheel. Fuck the one like god damn I I like electric vehicles in general. Fuck the one wheel. I hate that thing. I don't get it. It it I hate it. I, I hate it. And I'm not gonna defend my reasoning on it either. There is no reasoning. I just hate it. <laughs> but um but yeah, I think uh, I think an e bike that really looks like a bike ridden by a really confident person is 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 great. But when car drivers don't even think you should be there, it's getting dicey. Yeah, it's sad. I don't have a solution. I mean, it'd be nice if we could go up to at least eighty CCS for low powered vehicles and just reevaluate what a low powered vehicle is. But, yeah, because you can't ride them on sidewalks. You can't ride them on footpaths. You can't operate them safely in traffic. So if like either we can't have them or we got to change something. That's my thing. And, you know, and as cars have more ability to, to you know, to beep at the driver or, at, you know, do accident avoidance and stuff. Like, why not? Right. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's my little thing. I don't know. <sighs> okay, so that's best worst bike. Um, what do we want to do? Ride report or bike purchase updates? Uh I guess we can do bike bike purchases. Okay. Now I've just done a whole thing of 50cc bikes being the worst bike in the world, but I bought one. <laughs> <laughs> but not just any 50cc bike. I so it's it should be no secret to the listeners. We haven't talked about it for a while. I, I think two episodes ago we were talking about Honda Gyro's the electric ones. And anyone that's listened to Cleveland Moto lately knows that I purchased through Phil, I put Phil on the case. Okay. Uh, I think Phil said it very, very well on Cleveland Moto. He said, he goes, well, you know, anyone that was at AMA Vintage Days last year, if they were within a 50-foot radius of our campsite, they would have seen a very drunken Pete and Swiggy going on and on about Honda gyros. And then they would have seen John Coe drive up on a Honda gyro and with a for sale sign on it. And they would have seen Pete kind of put his hands on his hips and very drunkenly say, "Well, that's pretty cool." But if you had a Honda Gyro canopy, I would buy it sight unseen, I don't, no matter the cost. And that's true. I said that, and I just in a, at a certain point a few months ago, I, I I reminded Phil of this, and I said, "You know, I, I." I if you can find a Honda Gyro canopy, like I will buy it, and then a few weeks later, Phil sends me a Facebook <laughs> marketplace listing, and sure as shit, there's one. Not just, like one in essentially it's essentially brand new. Some weirdo south of Detroit, I guess, was importing these things without titles, but it doesn't matter because it it doesn't have to be plated. You don't need a title to register a scooter or a low power vehicle. I mean, well, it depends on what there's there's a lot of ins and outs of it, but essentially with just the VIN or whatever, you can register it. You're supposed to in Colorado and Michigan it turns out, register the thing. And you get a sticker for a few years, you know, at a time. And it just basically says like I've paid my road tax for this.
1: Yeah, road tax for scooters in Colorado
0: is like for three years. Right. It's yeah, it's not a big deal. And it's, it's so inconsequential. I've personally never seen a stickered low powered vehicle, except for the one that you own swigs. Oh yeah. (laughs) You're the only person I've ever even heard of in the state of Colorado actually follow this rule. I have not seen one of those stickers on a single fucking scooter or moped or anything in the goddamn state.
1: It does make that does actually track because everybody at the DMV was very confused and unprepared.
0: Right. Yeah. Right, exactly. So. Yeah. To the point that if you go in with a scooter and say like I want to register this thing, they'll be like, "What? I don't think you have to." And you're like, "You have to tell." No, I really do want to register this. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, and uh, considering that this vehicle of mine now is um foreign, it, 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 i I'm just not going to. But and so. What is this vehicle? For anyone that doesn't know, this is a three-wheeler. Now, I know I famously hate three-wheelers, but this one's different. Um, It's it's 50cc for a very good reason. It's slow for a very good reason. And it's three-wheeled for a very good reason. And the reasoning is, is that... The way the tilting mechanism works, the way the steering works and everything, it's stable with a load on it, and although it's an odd vehicle to operate, you do not need a license because they are mainly but purchased by businesses for delivery, so you don't want... You, you, it you don't want a motorcycle endorsement to be a,
1: a barrier a
0: barrier to, for, yeah. for for your recruiting for your hiring you need just ordinary people to be able to operate these especially in in places like Japan where it's very very difficult to get a motorcycle license right it, like the Japanese motorcycle test is hard
1: um it is and it isn't it's a weird political thing um we 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 actually we actually talked about this quite a while ago um but there's like feeder schools and if you go through one of those you're guaranteed to pass but like if you try to just go to the equivalent of the msf or if or if you try and do the go and do the test like directly through the government like there's like a 99% chance they're just going to fail you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, well, anyway, yeah. But, but so that it's, it just doesn't make a lot of sense that you would want to have people be fully licensed when you're just hiring, you know, minimum wage delivery people essentially, right. You know, high school kids and shit and, you know, people are just right. Cause I, it's, it's even kind of a hassle to own a motorcycle or a scooter in Tokyo. I just for 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 owning a vehicle in Tokyo, usually you have to prove that you have somewhere to park it. I, you know, and well, didn't seems... we have to like,
1: didn't when we got the, the, the previa, didn't we have to like show like a letter from the police department saying we had a parking. Yeah, so space?
0: before before we got the minivan. Yeah. So not only that, we had to present the police with a picture Of the parking space. And then the police came by at random times over the next week or two to see that nothing was parked there to prove that it was our parking (laughs) space. And then they gave us a letter that we could take to the dealership and go, we can purchase this because we have a place to park it. Now, I don't know if it's that extreme for scooters and motorcycles, but I mean, it's a thing, right? So when it's that tricky, right? To to store a vehicle somewhere, often you know, like a lot of Japanese apartments, the they will very commonly have places to to put your bicycle, and you know, locked up storage and whatever. You know, like you know how like you kind of see places where, uh, like here in the United States, like behind restaurants, those big like concrete things for putting dumpsters in, right, with gates on them. Right. Remember seeing those just for bicycles in apartment buildings? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So anyway, it makes a lot of sense that this thing is so accessible with its three-wheel, the way it holds a load of weight, and, and, uh, and how easy it is to ride, and that it's low power. Now, it makes zero sense to own one in this country. I'm absolutely completely out of my mind. But there is one actually really interesting use case for it in this country, and it is what I'm going to use it for effectively, and it is the reason that it came up for sale also. This guy was importing them in Michigan and selling them to senior citizens in retirement communities. And if you think about it, this is almost the exact same thing, right? You're talking about a population of people that need something unintimidating and easy to operate that doesn't necessarily operate intuitively for a motorcyclist, but operates intuitively for just Joe Public, right? Right. And it needs to actually be slow because – they anything too quick's going to kind of scare them off of it right so this this thing was owned by some little old lady who rode it around her retirement community and took it to the grocery store which i think is a fabulous use for this and this guy was like supplying this this old folks place with with honda gyros and as a result this is a 2017 honda gyro with only 300 miles on it it's brand – and because it was oh, – it's literally grandma-driven. There's, like, not a scratch on it. It's perfect. I do
1: love how they were trying to
0: get they, – they were very
1: clearly going for the 49cc limit, but they wanted to get as much power out of it. So it's a four-valve, 49cc motor.
0: Oh, not only is it four-valve, it's programmable fuel injection. Like, you can map <laughs> it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: There's a little
0: it. bit of extra power to be squeezed from it if you if you have the know-how you you can flash it yeah so it's <laughs> it's it's PGMFI yeah and it's it's four valve it's f- yeah fuel injected it's it's also kickstart oh is it I have no idea why I I only assume it's kickstart because. Again, you're having inexperienced people ride it, and they might leave the lights on or whatever, and and I, it must have the tiniest little battery. So, mm. uh, just as a, a backup to you know get it back to the pizza delivery place or the 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 post office or wherever it's coming from, it because uh, it's it's fi- it's it's 49 cc's right so even if the battery goes dead like you can kick this thing over and, and get it to life right yeah so i i think it's just there as a backup cuz why not um yeah it's weird uh it is it is it has a differential so it supplies power to both back wheels <laughs> which is something that only the last version of this scooter did. Apparently before that it was only power to like the rear right wheel I think. But the this late this last version of this engine which I think is called the TAO3 something something Honda. Anyway, um yeah, it is a differential. It's this thing's so fucking weird. It's got a windshield wiper It's got a full roof, and it has a gigantic box on the back of it that I'm going to have to vinyl wrap. And maybe we need to do another uh, Patreon poll. I'm between two ideas on the vinyl wrap. Should I go Japanese Pizza Hut logo? Or should I have it wrapped to make it look like from a distance that the box is just a big pallet of cases of Bud Light?
1: Bud Light would be really strong. They're
0: both strong. I know I've been going back and forth on this for days. I've been a big
1: fan of the Pizza Hut or Domino's pizza box is a really good one.
0: Um, It can't stop there though. I need, I need, um, we need, we need LED lights underneath this thing. I'm gonna get some like Harley Davidson cup holders and put some some nice Bluetooth speakers in there. We, yeah, I I might tint the windshield. <laughs> 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 we gotta pimp this thing out. It, this thing's gotta be ridiculous. This, it's gonna be known about around Greeley. People people are gonna recognize it. <laughs> So that so there we go. Um now I guess we mentioned in the last episode that I bought this Lambretta as well. So I am two scooters up. The uh the only thing I'm going uh, to add about the Lambretta is that apparently um it's still not worth that much but it is while it doesn't demand much cost, apparently they are becoming more desirable. Like people will buy them very, very quickly because they just didn't import like hardly any of them to this country I'm discovering. In fact, the, the, the engine on this thing has a really early serial number, but it actually has a Series 2 frame number. Because by the time they even started moving them to the U.S., they were just already done with the Series 1 in Europe. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we've got leftover motors and leftover bodywork. We'll put it on the, this frame and ship it over. And, and then it was just as soon, you know, as soon as they ran out. like For Series 1s, the U.S. just got scraps of Series 1 motors from Europe as far as i can tell but also i'm told that lambretta um, serial numbers often don't mean much <laughs> they were there's a very weird system about that anyway it's the weirdness never ends with it but that thing is getting restored 100% it is the first thing that we're going to do where we take something back 100% cuz it's very doable all right, Swigs, you are down a scooter. Yeah. Um, well, fortunately, it wasn't
1: worth very much. But yeah, the, uh, the Stella got stolen out of the parking lot here at the studio.
0: Brutal. I blame uh, the president of Moto One. Security's been lax. He's not been doing his fucking job. It's true. Um, it's also really fucking obnoxious
1: because it is a titled vehicle. And okay, yeah, most you could probably ride a, uh, a, that scooter around without a title. But without a plate. Or without a plate. But who the fuck is going to buy a stolen scooter who knows how to operate a manual transmission? I don't feel like there's a lot of overlap there. So this thing is probably going to be, end up in a ditch somewhere.
0: That or just stripped for parts sold on eBay.
1: Possibly, yeah.
0: But yeah. So that's fun. Right. Yeah, I don't
1: think I can own anything. I mean, at least I, don't it think was I can own an
0: Indian it- scooter, not a real Vespa.
1: Yeah. I don't know if I can own anything that's like under 500 pounds.
0: And keep it in that
1: parking lot. Well,
0: not until you buy a house. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. You need secure parking.
1: <sighs> yeah. Although I'm sure we've got listeners with similar stories, since apparently, like, auto theft has more than doubled, like, in the last three years. Oh, yeah. Like, it's getting insane now. Yeah, so, which means that we're... Also surrounded by rank amateurs, yeah, who just fuck shit up without even actually stealing it.
0: Uh huh. Well, yeah, that's what happened. Remember, that's these? what happened
1: with the Superhawk and the Future. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So, I guess what we also we we've done this before when you needed to replace a vehicle because you really rode the shit out of that scooter. You used it all the time yeah. I, to the point that the Norwich was just sitting there, just like forgotten about almost right it's true uh, so you really have room in your life for that kind of vehicle and 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 the the Stella disappearing really leaves a gap so i think what you need to do is buy one of the the garage units here uh, i think it's going to be worth it for you i mean it's no further a walk to the different parking lot right um, and you can have lockable vehicle storage. I don't know how much extra a month it is, but I would just forget the covered spot and see if you can get a garage one. Uh, yeah. After that, once you secure that before you replace this vehicle, I would say. And that would be good too, because you should move a lot of your tools down t- to it as well and have a better workspace rather than trying to bring shit up here. And then I would do something like – I don't know. I've been suggesting replacing it with a big ruckus. I really like – I think one of us needs to go – we need to go 250cc four-stroke, I think. And my reasoning is, is that over the years, we've been buying weirder and weirder bikes. And we always try to buy something that's in a category that we haven't really done before. And we haven't really done maxi scooter yet. But we don't want to go full Bergman because you need a small, like, you know, run around town sort of thing. Super easy to drive, flickable, lightweight, but still has some grocery getter ability. We want insane fuel economy, right? Mm. And I think a 250cc scooter. Bridges that world, right? It's still a small runaround, but it's also a maxi scooter. And the big ruckus is so perfectly weird. We've also never done full CVT. That's true. We haven't. So I would say also you need to establish some credit. So if it's not a Bergman, I kind of like the idea of a 150 Vespa. Full automatic as well.
1: Yeah, that's an option.
0: And I think even though you could just buy it cash, I think you should finance it. But whatever. The reasons on that we don't need to go deep into. But I like 150 modern Vespa. Or a big ruckus. This is if I were in your position, that's what I would be looking for. Now, if anyone thinks that I haven't already put Uncle Phil on the case for a big ruckus, you're dead wrong. Because if he finds one and Swigs doesn't want it, I might fucking buy it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Because I have proven that I will buy the weirdest shit on the planet at a moment's notice.
1: I could also go for a pristine um Honda elite one fifty deluxe
0: oh with the flip up headlight with the flip up headlight ooh yeah that's good too that's good too that's you've got the flip up headlight you've got a l li- you've got a little bit of storage on that thing you've um it's got underseat storage right the one fifty uh I believe so, and yeah, so you've got a decent amount of power you've got the weirdness of the design and yeah i ooh okay that's good too ch150 um i can't remember the designation for the for the big ruckus i thought it was a ch as well but maybe it isn't um so ch150 honda big ruckus or vespa 150 Is the Primavera just a 50cc or do they do a 150 Primavera? I thought it was 50 only.
1: But it doesn't matter.
0: Whatever the, the 150 is, you, you know what you could get? You could get the Beaver scooter. <laughs> I love the Beaver scooter. It's true. I could. <laughs> I don't think I could. Ever... <laughs> Well, they do a racing 60s 150, I think. That's really fucking sweet. I think the best one they actually do. Let's look it up. Do, 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 do. Yeah. Um, So, okay, Swigs. So also let's go into the impending loss of the Norge. Because it's been a long road with the Norge, but I think it's finally time to say goodbye. hmm so let yeah, let's walk through the reasoning on that.
1: Well, I mean so we just finished this big trip with it, which was and it was fantastic on it. Um, but I think it's really just time for another bike. It's kind of I mean, it's been very Italian in its quirks and its minor maintenance issues, but Besides that, it's it's just time to experience something a little different. We've never had an adventure bike. Uh, we haven't. Uh, you know, it's. I really think it's it's just time.
0: Yeah, you've done about everything there is to do with it. Um, oh yeah, the Vespa Sprint 150 Racing Sixties, green and yellow. This would be the one, Swigs. Um, that's pretty solid. Okay, so, yeah, so I think – well, also, it's been too – so, hmm, okay. It's been too long that your other weird Italian bike has been out of commission. It's true. Since since you crashed it and it was then almost stolen and a, a series of other things, uh, the – sadly – the the Futura is still not back on the road. Although the engine runs and there's nothing mechanically wrong with it, it has so many cosmetic problems. But it also has a missing mirror. And turn signal. And turn signal, yeah. which is
1: the problem. And just so, finding parts
0: for it is impossible. So this is also a thing where... It needs to go to a professional body shop, and it it needs to have more cosmetic – it needs cosmetic work, which outweighs the value of the vehicle itself, most likely. Very likely true. So the Norge is passing on in order to fund the rehabilitation of the Futura back to its former glory. Cause you've got the bags for it, although the one is scratched up, right? Uh, no, the bags. Oh, you were had not. the bags off it when it was. Yeah, okay, that's oh, that's good. But yeah, it's it's all rashed up on one side, and it's got the busted thing, and, the, and but a professional body shop will be able to just take care of this, and it'll cost too much, but whatever. But yeah, the Norge has been great, and it's sad to see it go, but at the same time, it's nice. It's kind of like my Goldwing. Like, I've done everything with it that I'm going to do with it. And uh, with that, I, I think we can kind of sum up your experience of riding it on this on this trip that we need to kind of report on now. Because we've been up to so much shit while we haven't been putting out episodes. So a couple weeks ago we took a trip to Utah it's like a big family vacation. And dad rode out, I rode out, you rode out, but none of us rode together, which was a very different way than we've done these trips before. And we all had very different trips. We rode at different times of the day. We rode different routes. We rode different bikes and we rode in different ways. And I think everyone had a really great trip in their own way. Mm. So this was the most you've ever ridden solo. Yeah. And by that, we mean no other bikes, just you alone on a trip. No one else on the on a Bluetooth, like no nothing, just boom. One shot, you go. Now, I've done Iron Butts by myself before, a couple of them. And you've done Iron Butts with me, but you went almost 800 miles straight shot by yourself.
1: Uh, Technically only a little more than halfway on my own um, going out there and a little less and a little more. Well, I think I think it was. Oh, that's
0: s- right. You caught up to us yeah. about halfway. So I think, on the way there, I
1: think about sixty percent of both directions it was solo. Somewhere oh, like
0: did actually. you did you like leave with dad on the first? Yeah, on the way back. Oh, okay. So okay, but still, it it was yeah four hundred plus miles in, mm-hmm. in, in a lot of yeah. Okay, so uh, we went to Hurricane Utah from from or hurricane hurricane is a, as, yeah as we as which, we discovered by
1: the way if you're a landlocked state you're not allowed to dictate coastal weather phenomena okay yeah Look, yeah it's, it's hurricane get over yourselves mm mm-hmm. mhm
0: so i uh, r- the first to leave was dad and dad was following a car and dad took like three days to get out there via the Grand Canyon. They did a whole different route. You, uh, next to leave was me and Claire. On a 1989 Goldwing GL 1500, the very first GL 1500, before they even did an Aspencade. Well, I mean, there was an Aspencade of the 1200, but it was just the Goldwing for 1989. So this was the fully loaded CB radio, onboard air compressor, cassette deck, uh, AM FM radio, uh, adjustable rear pressure. Um, you know, everything gold, four glove boxes, yeah, four glove boxes. <laughs> this is this is everything. The 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 it might be the Goldwing with the most storage. I don't know if it has more or the same storage as a GL 1800, but I mean, this is so. This is the big thing. Claire and I did the all American Goldwing road trip, is what we did. Uh, you know, this was, this is on the level of, you know, your full bagger Harley couple, right? We just, this, oh, the weight of both of us and the bike and the, I mean, I mean, it must have been 1600 pounds going down the road, right? I mean, we were half the weight of a car. Yeah. It, it, this, this was a lot. Um, But the bike was awesome. I, oh. I'm getting a GL eighteen hundred at least in the next year. But my my old Goldwing is going. I I I can't even look at the GL one thousand anymore. I <laughs> I mean, I love the GL one thousand. It's been great. It's been unbelievably reliable. It was. I've ridden it over a thousand miles in twenty four hours, and 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 thought it was not even that big of a deal, but. Even in 1989, gold is just so much more advanced. Mm-hmm. So let, let's kind of keep like trading back and forth on these experiences because I learned a lot more about riding this way and this trip. And it, it was in unexpected ways. So, uh, like I said, you, you spent the most, this is the most, the, the furthest you've gone solo. hmm. So kind of like, you know, unravel like what was what was very different about that? Because we have a very locked-in system when the two of us are just crushing miles. Mm-hmm. But left completely to your own devices to to crush the miles. Did did you swap anything up? Like from what I noticed, you were just going straight shot with almost no stops.
1: Yeah. So on the way back, I was I I think so, for the set- there's like seven hundred and sixty miles or six hundred and seventy something miles, the total trip is like door to door.
0: Oh, I thought it was over seven hundred.
1: I thought it was like six seventy five but i I calculated it when I got back to your place. um I was like twenty minutes behind saddle sore pace, right, like I left at like nine o'clock in utah and then i arrived at your place at like 8 30 or something like just as the sun was going down yeah um but yeah um so i think one of the things i noticed the most is that i the amount of time i spent stopping well it was probably a better example on the way coming out here because i left crazy early in the morning and had to go through lots of really bad weather Um, the speed at which I ride and how much time I, I spend stopped is not consistent across the whole trip. And there may be stretches where I like on the way back, there's probably a stretch of like 200 miles that I just didn't stop at all. And then there are, there were segments where I just stopped like every 50 miles. Um, but I don't think it's, I definitely ride a lot less consistently. Um, but I think overall, I have much better pace.
0: Okay. So, having the freedom to just kind of move at your own whim, because right? I think one of the things that made us successful crushing miles is we agreed that as soon as one person calls it like, Hey, we've got to either stop for the night or we need to stop for gas or we need to stop just to stretch our legs. We agreed early on the other person's not allowed to fight back, Mm. but we also had this unspoken thing that on behalf of the other person, we don't just want to throw in the towel real quick. Like that's not cool. So we, we, we were always we've always both been pushing each other a little bit to just do that extra ten or fifteen miles before a gas stop and you know before you know it, mm-hmm. you've covered an extra hundred miles in a day because you've just because you've been pushing each other just a little bit with every you know every stretch in between Phillips, yeah,
1: well, it's also really nice on the Norge to just have to make no considerations whatsoever for gas. You will always oh, yeah. be able. To pass up and go to the next gas we station. We are
0: going to miss that.
1: Yeah. So yeah, did, and we've twice siphoned gas into other motorcycles on a road yes, trip. Yes, we have.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, something I did very very different on this trip. One was carrying a passenger. Now I've carried mm-hmm. passengers before, but never for so long. Now credit to the Goldwing, I. I fucking forgot Claire was back there a lot of the time. Like I could just (laughs) ride like she wasn't there quite often. And she also regularly fell asleep. Like every couple hours just fell asleep. And I knew she fell asleep because she would fall asleep and I, I could feel like her legs press against me just a little bit more. And then when she woke up, she thought she was falling (laughs) <laughs> and she would <laughs> jump up and freak out behind me. And the bike would wobble a bit. I'd be like, oh, Claire's awake. <laughs> and i hit my yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Here's something that's a really big difference. We fucking finally figured out Cena music sharing. I, it, apparently, so when we first got our, our sena units, uh, music sharing wasn't a feature that the regular ones had. And then I think in the early models that did have music sharing, it was kind of complicated to do. And now they've just apparently it's a thing. All you have to do is be paired to your phone, you start music playing. So you were you were paired, unpair from someone, start playing music. And then just hit the button like you pair again and boom, you're music sharing. And they've updated the software on everything that all the models do it now.
1: Well, it's also just like really obnoxious like it, it was always like super, super context specific. Whereas like if the sun is below thirty degrees in the sky, then <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> make the sign of the cross before pressing the pair button. Right. Like it, it just it got so fucking specific. But also there was no real indication that it had worked. Like I think we we, we did it with the
0: with the with the Well, Sena has solved this problem also. There's a little display on the side of the unit now. So if you're standing in a parking lot before you get on the bike and you want to link it up, it shows a little um Icon of of a headset with a microphone when you're paired, and then it changes to a music note when your music sharing's enabled. Ah, oh. and you could just look at you, the other person's helmet and see that you're that you're in that mode now. So at the very least, you can just pull over and to complete and without having to take your phones out of your pockets and mess with the apps and whatever. You can just see that it's working. Mm-hmm. So. They did fucking figure it out. Nice. Uh, so to the point that, and Claire had never used hers with anyone else before. I had always just set our things up. And so she got to the point, like she got fluent with it. We were able to just very comfortably go back and forth between conversations, accepting phone calls, sharing music. and all finally worked beautifully as a, 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 a driver-passenger system. Like... The way Senna would hope it works for their customers. So that was kind of nice to finally experience that for once. Mm -hmm. And it also made me realize that I think I need to downgrade to the basic Senna unit. I'm having a little reliability issues with my 30K now. The mount has worn out. I'll probably just buy another mount for now, but if another one wears out the same way this one has, I'll probably just go buy the bargain unit that Claire's got because I don't think I need any of the other features. And I really don't think I need it to have more than half a mile range either. Yeah. I, for a while, everyone was obsessed with the range that they worked at. And I, if, if, you're just trying to talk to another rider that's in sort of view of you. I, that, that seems fine to me. I can count on on the amount of time for the amount of time
1: that we've had Bluetooth headsets. I think I can count on one hand, the number of times we actually went out of range of each other while riding.
0: And, and, and what was it a, a minute before we came back in? I, it, yeah, it was never an issue. Uh, so Another thing that I did different was, because I was carrying a passenger and taking it a little easy, and also my trip was split into two days each way, I slowed down. I, I often took it down to about like 65 to 68, somewhere in there, because the 1989 Goldwing has true cruise control. And holy fuck, I fell in love with cruise control swigs. On a big road trip like this, oh my god. I, first of all, the on an 89 Goldwing, at least, the difference in fuel economy you get between 68 miles an hour and 77 is huge. I, we're talking like 12 miles per gallon difference straight up there were some tanks i only got 30 there were some tanks i got like 42 big difference and if you're covering near a thousand miles that's a meaningful difference also like in this example of where we're riding out to utah sometimes you go 120 miles with no gas station so that's that's a meaningful thing as well but i but forget the fuel economy the whole point of the Goldwing is that it does a lot of riding for you in a way. Mm. You know, you you rode the thing around around Hurricane and like as you said, you've never done so much one-handed riding.
1: No, no-handed riding or no-handed no, riding. No, I just set the cruise control and I just leaned over and I I probably steered the bike for like 3 miles without touching the handlebars.
0: I'd be lying if I didn't do the exact same thing. Yeah. I yeah, it, it it's so well balanced. It and the power is so smooth and it's so consistent. And even the way the cruise control works mm. keeps it so in line that you can
1: I would say that with the with the power that bike had, like the power to weight ratio, um that bike actually kept more consistent speed than the cruise control on my old jag
0: oh i believe that yeah and i i think i think more consistent than your ford ranger as well absolutely definitely more consistent than your ford ranger with a trailer or any kind of load in the bed yeah uh the but so I was say, you know, the GL1000, I could ride for 1,000 miles in a day. But the difference is, is that's a 1970s bike with just an exceptionally smooth motor. So your butt's not going to buzz as much as it would on, say, a CB750, right? right? And that's really the big difference. And it's got a Vetter on it. And a Vetter is just a magical thing for any vintage bike. I. I don't care if you think they look dorky. If you need to ride a meaningful difference, just find an old Vetter fairing and put it on your vintage bike. You can ride a thousand miles. Trust me. the The thing with this Goldwing and any newer one is that again, the bike almost does half the riding for you with things like the cruise control and with things like just this. And also, uh, Cam had because it's not my Goldwing; it's it's Cam's. Uh, he had just had the suspension redone as well, so it rode like it was new. And being able to adjust the rear pressure for the correctly for the weight that was on the bike, having the cruise control, having the insane balance that this bike has, there were moments where I could almost completely relax my whole body. Right, that, like I would do this move where I would put my feet on the the front pegs that we put on the bike, and just let my legs go limp, and then I would drape my arms over the handlebars and kind of hook my thumbs between the grips and the levers, and just let my arms go limp, and like I could let my shoulders just like go limp. And I would just kind of sit there, just like, oh, and I'd be like, I, you know, I, like, it's just straight road in front of me. I can just sit here for a second and just really relax, because the stress of doing these trips is your body's just tense in ways that you're not thinking about. Right. So the whole thing about the Gold Wing is, it is go slower to go faster, because just sitting on this bike at 65 to 68 we were doing like 170 mile stretches between gas stops on the way back i um yeah we stopped for gas once on the last day we just did like two like 170 then 160 mile stretch and then we were home because we, i we just lined up some podcasts that we both liked and Claire had just gotten good at relaxing in the chair behind me. Like I said, she was falling asleep. I knew how to sit and ride the bike with the minimal effort needed. And I just didn't get worn out. And we just got to really enjoy the scenery. And even though we were going a slower speed than I would normally go on a road trip, we covered more distance faster because we were less stressed. So we just didn't even need to stop because we were so relaxed. And it's always kind of felt like a battle to cover these miles before. And it was, and it was just sort of rising to the challenge of covering. But it was truly relaxing this time. Mm-hmm. And, it, and thank God, because this was Claire's first big motorcycle trip. Like, what if she fucking hated it? right? <laughs> this would have been bad news. So yeah, we both came back and we both were like, you know, cause she's ridden with me on the, on the 1000 plenty of times. And she's like, I like this better. This is, yeah. So a, a, an 1800 probably is on the purchase list. Um, Yeah. I, I don't, I, um, it's uh, as far as like the roads go, and the routes and the elevation. This is this is like roads we both traveled. It's basically we just did I seventy, almost to Vegas and back. Is essentially the route.
1: Yeah, it's basically the trip from here to from like Denver to Vegas, but you just don't go all. You just stop before St. George.
0: Right. Um. Yeah. This time, I appreciated Utah a lot more than I have before and i there i had to admit there were some spots south of you know once you get onto 15 that weren't like completely ugly it's the whole thing is i70 is just absolutely stunning the all the way from denver to to where it ends at at i15 if yeah. you've never done it it i think it must rival the pch or um What's the highway that goes through the Smoky Mountains? Um, I can't remember, but like you name your greatest roads in America, I seventies fucking up
1: there. Is it? Are you talking about um, like I ninety? Is it I ninety?
0: That sounds right. I just can't remember. Or ninety
1: five. I can't remember. Whatever.
0: Whatever. It's you owe it to yourself to yeah. bring your bike out here and do it. You really do.
1: Yeah. Now everything east of denver is pure bullshit
0: yeah you kind of have to suffer through kansas for the reward (laughs) (laughs) but that's just life okay so we're at almost an hour and a half we're really cracking on here we need to move to our big topic oh let's take a
1: let's take a quick break and then
0: and then come back with it all right let's do that real quick (laughs) Okay, and we're back. Ah, my mic. Okay, and we're back. So, Swigs, we're going to have a game. We're going to challenge each other to defend things that we hate. I don't know what to call this game. Should we just call this Defending Your Life for now? All right. You know what we should do? If this works... Well, like like a uh, made-up motorcycle I i didn't explain that either um the patreon members for now are suggesting titles for made-up motorcycles that we're going to do on a more regular basis but we're going to do mini rounds and I think this is something else we could possibly do mini rounds also uh, maybe not every week but every other week or every three weeks so here's the idea. Things we famously despise in motorcycling. We're going to challenge each other to defend. And we shall let the Patreon members vote and decide who won. Who who made the better cases for disgusting and deplorable things in motorcycling? Whether these could be motorcycle models, they could be motorcycle fashion trends, they could be common mods they could be styles of bike or riding or racing it could really be anything so do you want to go first or should i uh
1: How i'll go feel? first you'll
0: go first so as in i give you one or you give you hit i'll me give you one. one okay should we set a uh should we give it like a roughly like a like a like a two or three minute limit
1: i think it's probably a way to go yeah
0: yeah, because we shouldn't just have unlimited time to defend it. It's just you hit it and then boom, three minutes to to have a go. All right. All right. I'm, I'm watching the clock. I'll just be on our system. It'll be like soccer. You know, we, we can have it can end 15 minutes early or 15 minutes late, but we're going to try to keep it to three minutes. It's
1: not really how soccer works, but okay.
0: Well, I'm saying yeah. they, they'll give us extra time at the end just to make sure it's balanced.
1: Also, not really how it works. But never mind. Whatever. We'll do- <laughs> okay. All right, let's go. Let's go. All right, first one. Get
0: back whips. The get back whip. Okay, how do I defend the get back? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. You hit me with a real hard one. Like, all right, the get back whip. The get back whip has an amount of empowerment to the rider. It's still gross, but in a community where a lot of people take responsibility off themselves and blame their vulnerability completely on cars, or rather than adapting to that... The get back whip might be a sort of necessary coping mechanism. If your whole outlook is we're riders and out of a dedication to tradition, we're not going to be wearing helmets and we're only going to wear leather without armor and... And we have this irrational fear of cars and and fear that there's not much we can do about them because, you know, all motorcycle accidents are Cager's fault. Maybe the get-back whip supplies the rider with this feeling that now they're armed with a weapon to fight back. And then maybe that reduces some anxiety around the car. And kinda, you know, through making the writer less nervous supplies like a, a confidence in their writing. You know? And that's really the only that that's as good as I can do. And I, I okay. I've got twenty seconds left, so I yeah.
1: Okay. We did not start off with an easy one.
0: Oh my <laughs> gosh. That was I'm going to take a bow. That was, <laughs> uh, that was rough swigs. <laughs> okay. Are you, I, okay. I got one for you. Right,
1: let me just get a clock up here. Okay. <laughs>
0: Ooh, I'm going uh, to let me, let me think through mine. Which one do I think is the hardest? Cause I gotta, I gotta hit you with one now. Do I want to go with Okay, I got I got a tough one for you.
1: Okay.
0: The Yamaha Niken.
1: Okay. So as much as a riding purist or somebody who wants to who wants to stick to kind of race specs and traditional classes of motorcycles, or just generally is not on board with the added weight of a larger bike or anything like that. The Nikon represents essentially a sort of prototyping mechanism. It's an experimental class. And even though you may not prefer to ride a three-wheeled bike there's probably a lot of engineering lessons that can come out of it and so, so some of those ideas may make it back into a traditional two-wheeled vehicle and in that regard it's probably a benefit to everybody uh but not only that there isn't there is a possibility you know with every with every change of you know there are probably a lot of people who ne- who thought that four-stroke motorcycles would never take off. Or that CVT transmissions would never take off over just a good old-fashioned five-speed manual. But at a certain point, we may discover that there is some element of it that really is popular. And it's something that you may... You may actually prefer to ride in certain circumstances, and it's worth keeping around just for that. Uh, okay, how much time do I have left?
0: About a minute and a half. Oh Christ! Um, you don't have to go the whole three minutes.
1: I okay. I think I think I'm I'm happy with that. I think that makes a lot.
0: Okay. I, yeah. I'm I'm just gonna institute a new rule with any of your extra time. I just get to rebut. I, <laughs> okay. So so as a concept, experimentation in engineering, you're right. That's worthwhile. But in regards to specifically the Nekin, I'm not sure what those lessons are or were. <laughs>
1: Well, you can think about it in terms of limits of, you know, different ways of mounting suspension. Um, you can think about it in terms of weight distribution and what you can get away with. But they already did it all in the Tri-City. Isn't the Tri-City a 125, though?
0: I think they just bumped it up to a 300.
1: Okay. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: It was a tough one. Okay. Um there we uh Cool. So I think I won that round. Yeah. <laughs> we'll let the listeners decide. Uh well, I don't know. I you may have had a better better argument, but I had to dig deeper. <laughs> All right. Um no, no. We we don't know who who who's who's ahead yet. We we we've we've got to watch the polls come in. We'll we'll do that slowly over the next week. All right. All right, hit me again.
1: Okay. Uh fender eliminator kits.
0: Oh fuck. Well, there is w- the defense is right, I'm going to I'm going to
1: clarify. Okay. Fender eliminator kits specifically on public roads. We're not including the track.
0: Right. Well, that doesn't change my answer. So it technically makes your bike illegal in places, but it's not an enforced thing. It doesn't matter. But the 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 defense of the Fender Eliminator Kit is that if it was not for bizarre rules that are worded very strangely, specifically in California about how far out turn signals and lighting has to be. No motorcycle manufacturer on any kind of modern sport bike and many cruisers or adventure bikes would ever design their rear fenders that way. They extend out that far not for... Mostly safety reasons or, you know, rocks or throwing water at people's backs or whatever it is It's because they just legally need to get the turn signals out into a certain spot, right? They've got to be like past the axle or the subframe or whatever it is to a certain number of inches and they have to go out so much to the left and right. And it's odd because they end up with these weird wavy bits of plastic that don't seem to make a lot of sense, don't seem very sturdy in a lot of cases, and may not be as effective as the engineers might have been able to just make the system left to their own devices. So besides looking awkward, they're just there kind of almost arbitrarily. And so in putting in the fender eliminator kit, you're often – you are able to get to somewhere that's closer to what the designers originally intended. And with so many different lighting options and things, people often go for something ultra-minimalistic. I think there could be a way to do a fender eliminator kit and still have – good lighting and turn signals on the back of your bike. You don't have to go for the one piece light. Um, but in their right minds, no engineer would ever design a, a, a real, a rear light unit like they do right now. So the defense of it is, eh, okay, the, the, the fender eliminator kits you often see are insane, but so is the way the bike sold. If I, I would propose a system more like a, like you ask a, like a panel of people in, in the dark, like, is it obvious to you which way this light, this bike is indicating? Like, give it a real world test. And as long as it's like 98% of people or, or, you know, 99% of people, whatever it is, say like, oh, yes, it was obvious to me that's a left turn signal and that's a right. Then we can just approve the bikes on almost a one one off like one by one basis. There's so many other things they have to go through and get approved for. Instead of just measuring out the lights, cannot uh, we can probably find a computer program that can just determine the obviousness of the lighting. I think I may have gone over time, but there we go. Mm. I think that's a pretty good one too.
1: I think it's pretty good, yeah. I would say that they probably just need like a different spec of like, okay, how many degrees off axis can you still see the left turn signal from the right side, or how many degrees off axis can you see the right from the left side, and do something like that. Because then you could just you could do it a lot more simply. But yeah, I. There was a much more valid point than the get back whip argument. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. All right. I think this game's going really well thus far. Um, let's do at least one more here to keep the numbers even. We'll see if we if we feel like going another round. All right. Sport bikes with extended swing arms on the streets.
1: Okay. Well. For, well, for one thing, any sport bike on the road is already far in excess of performance required for the task. Yes. Every, every sport bike is so much more capable than it would ever need to be in that we have leader bikes with similar weights to like beginner bikes with five times the horsepower and the beginner bike is fine the hand, and you know with the increase in tire technology and and just overall balance and braking. and braking and suspension there is enough room to do some silly things with your motorcycle and have it all work out so even if you're not taking it to the drag strip this is really no different than raising or lowering your pickup truck. This is no different than the bizarre trend of raising your rear suspension and dropping the front on your pickup truck. Um, or, you know, if you look at any other set of car trends, like, um,
0: what's stancing it the Wait, wheels, like
1: stancing your wheels. <laughs> um, Extending your swing arm is not even remotely as ridiculous as any of those trends are. And again, if you've got excess performance and handling and horsepower and you still stop effectively, you're not making the vehicle any wider, uh, in many ways I think that's totally fair game. Okay. It's also a trend that non that's that's out there enough that non motorcycle people can see that it's a modification, and there's a lot of character in that, and that you can you can get more people to recognize.
0: Yeah, it also. Well, I don't need to make your point for you, but curiously, but you are going to well, which I think
1: is definitely in well. My it, favor. it
0: okay. Um well, there there's one thing to it that and, and this is I've always known this, but we've always been taking the side against extended swing arms. <laughs> <laughs> but in the case of you know, a Hayabusa or whatever with the extended swing arm, it gives you the ability to ride your street legal bike to the track but then race it on the track because if you're riding your bike to the drag strip well your bike will be more competitive with its extended swing arm and you can take a totally street legal vehicle to 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 the drag strip and they don't have as many crazy rules about it as they do on a road course you don't have to you know necessarily have the belly pan and you know all sorts of things there's a lot of just you know Run what you brung, knights and stuff. So it does give you this unique ability to take your everyday rider and race it, and that's kind of cool.
1: Also, good luck getting a busa with an extended swing arm in anything other than an eight-foot bed.
0: There is that downside, yeah. Um. Okay. Whew. All right. So we've done two complete you know four four of these as far what do you think do we do we want to go one more i think this is going pretty well and i think i think we could we could do another round of these on the next episode i don't know should we push it we've had four pretty good ones mm. so we push it another one or just or just i think
1: we can do one more
0: i have a brutal one
1: but i'm gonna hold that one back Okay. All right. We'll go
0: one more round. It just may be really... the only
1: thing worse than get back whips that I can think of at this. You
0: know what? We do need to go one more because it eliminates the possibility of a tie.
1: That's true. Okay. All
0: right. All right. So hit me with one.
1: Um. Okay. Uh. This is probably the thing that has gone out of style more than anything else in just all realms of fashion, which is the all black murdered out look.
0: Okay. So the murdered out all black fashion. Okay. Um, there's one very good defense and it's the reason not just motorcycles, if you start counting how many just black and just white cars pass you on the road, how many colors are not white, black, or gray? It's almost none anymore. And once this is pointed out to you, you won't be able to unsee it. Uh, Jeep is doing really well with having fun colors. Uh, Ford still does stuff in blue. But I mean, honestly, Subaru is one of the most colorful car companies out there right now. And it's pretty dire straits for fun colors. They're all this kind of drab. Like like um, there's there's no like is it like luminosity or something to the they're not bright colors they're not fun colors like gone are the days of plum crazy and candy apple red and fun car colors everything's got to be this very middle of the road because cars are so expensive you need to keep a resale value on it but also some. I, I don't I don't really believe in this day the 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 idea of a a certain paint being more expensive really holds up when you're talking about the total like cost of a, of a vehicle you know but matte colors are cheaper than than the gloss and in the finish you're using right if you can do everything all in one spray right um I think the murdered outlook is has to do with the fact of you know like why are black t-shirts popular and white t-shirts and not it's just in order to reduce cost and avoid and to maximize sales it's let's go with a safe option and for whatever reason we've all decided right now that black and white is always acceptable or black or white, all black or all white. And people want their motorcycles in the States to be tough. So it leans black. So the reasoning for it is especially with new riders, let's go for black because people are weirdly just more comfortable with that. They're buying black cars. Like there's no tomorrow they're good you know they're already a new rider's already gonna feel weird about being seen on a motorcycle i i don't know if you remember getting your first bike and that feeling but it's sort of a oh my gosh i'm like riding this new weird thing and my friends haven't seen me ride one yet and it's like Are are people going to be like, who are you, weird biker poser guy? You're not a motorcyclist. Why do you have a motorcycle? you, You know what I mean? There's a thing to it. And after a while, you realize that no one gives a shit. But it's a little battle you have with yourself. And if that thing is like electric purple on top of it, for some people, that tips the scale. For some people, it's like, well, I can buy a black motorcycle and for some people, like oh, I can't ride this giant purple thing, right? Claire bought a blacked out, murdered Rebel 300. Does she seem like the type that's like into the blacked out, murdered thing? Or was it just sort of less intimidating? Because they had a white one as well. I, I, she kind of said she wanted the white one, but she ended up with a black one. She wasn't willing to wait another month for another white one to ship or whatever. She just went with the black one. So it's a game of margins. And the black, I think, edges out with new buyers. I think I went way over time, but whatever. There we go. (sighs) That's the best I can do. (sighs) Ah. I think long-term, If for my real thoughts, I think long-term, more fun colors is going to be better. We, just, as a society, need to rip off this Band-Aid of just the matte blacks. But while everyone's trying to play the safety and num- mm. the safe numbers game, every company except like Ducati, you know, those really out there brands, has just black. But anyway.
1: Yeah, I mean now that I think about it, like what's the newest motorcycle you've seen in yellow, like by model year or even, even amongst cars. Like what's the, what's the newest like purple car that you've ever seen? Yeah. Probably goes back to like the early two thousands or even the nineties.
0: Yeah. Like you, you see Jeeps in, in yellow and blue and, and all, and all sorts of stuff. But again, the, The Jeep thing is very different. It's definitely not supposed to just be a daily driver. Yeah. So they they get away with that. But goddamn, like, try finding a Toyota on the road that's, you know, less than eight years old that's not white or black or gray. Every dealership you drive by, it's just black and white and gray everywhere. It's insane. I, I could can't never take imagine it. it's myself. It's so boring.
1: I could never imagine myself buying something in black or white. It, yeah, it's
0: well, you know me. I've owned an absurd number of blue cars. Mm. That, I I don't know why, but I have. Uh, I, so I've British Racing Green. Uh, um, yeah, the Mustang was blue. the The Fiesta's blue. Uh, the only black or white thing I've had was the truck. But I mean, you know, it's a pickup truck. It's not, you know, if you're if you're driving a pickup truck, it could black and white. I don't give a shit, right? It's whatever. Especially if it was ever a work or fleet vehicle at some point. Of course, black and white. It just makes sense. Why would? It, why should it have a special color? But you know, I think I feel like a daily driver should be a little bit fun. Who wants to spend like I? How about just being able to recognize
1: your car in a parking lot?
0: Yeah. Can we have more than three
1: color <laughs> options? <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, i well, you I'm remember, not saying like, I want to go back to the nineties when 30% of cars were champagne colored. That was a little brutal as well. That was, but it was like,
1: um, like even just in like, imagine like around 2010, it's like, Oh, just go out. To, you can just go out to my car. Here's the keys. Um, you know, the, the beer's in the trunk. It's like, Okay. What what car do you have? Oh, it's a blue Honda Civic. Like that's really not going to be helpful. You know. Okay. Remember, like that that's how it used to be. Yeah. But now it's uh, but I don't know. I I despise well, people the people
0: diff, diff. what's happened is people don't care about the color or the design of their car they just personalized their car with fucking obnoxious bumper stickers bumper stickers need to get fucking reeled in people holy shit anyway there's
1: that well also the worst car trend of all time uh the blacked out turn signals
0: oh my yeah we're looking at you tesla model 3 owners um Okay. So <laughs> uh whew, All right. I got, I, there is maybe let's we got to finish this. this game series. Yeah. We're getting too distracted. Okay. I have a really brutal one for you and I was going to hold okay. this one back, but after you hit me with that first one and I I have no mercy. All right, here we go. Motorcycle cup holders.
1: So, Okay, for one thing, fuck you, it's a free country. Okay? (laughs) We, regardless of what you think, first of all, you can still wear a three-quarter helmet, which is not as great as a full-face helmet, but that's something that allows you to drink on the move. There are non-road legal reasons that you would want to have something like that. For instance, mid-Ohio, a cup holder would be a great idea.
0: Well that would be a beer holder, but okay continue. Yeah.
1: There's there's also, you know, if you're going around the pits at a Moto America event, you might want to be able to carry a beverage with you. But even then if you think those are ridiculous use cases, which I would argue they're not, we need we need to have aftermarket um manufacturers to be pushing the boundaries on what's reasonable wait is this
0: the nika argument again
1: (laughs) no we need we need people we cannot have every single product every single idea always be completely square well regulated and within bounds people need to be pushing the boundaries and making ridiculous things and just just challenging what the boundaries are. And the cup holder is a great example of that. Also, you can use a cup holder while your vehicle is stationary. You might go into the gas station, get a drink, you come out to the bike, and then you're just going to have a coffee while you're stopped. It may be just nice to have a cup holder there just because you're thinking oh i don't want to put it on the ground but also i'm just standing around the bike there's nowhere to put it it's perfectly reasonable to have a cup holder it's while
0: conceivable you're it's conceivable that you want to get a cup of coffee at your favorite coffee place and then take it into work it's a rare use case but i i concede that that's conceivable Okay. I'll I'll allow it. I'll give it to you. It's in this like 1% <laughs> of cases I I uh, you know, I I would say that uh, but my my rebuttal with if I have any time against that argument is in in 1983 when someone went, "Hey, I got a cup holder for a motorbike. You want to buy it? Yeah, maybe someone was like, you know what? Hey, I, I do a lot of miles. It's nice to have some water right there. I can stop and it's there and I didn't have to put it in a hot saddlebag or whatever. In in now a post-camelback world, I, I don't think the motorcycle cup holder holds much value for society also when there's a Starbucks on like every block of the planet that you know but you
1: can't put carbonated beverages in a camelback and I don't think anybody wants to wash coffee out of their camelback either
0: I guess so I I still find it a curious decision but okay alright you you did it. All right. Okay. All right. So we need the listeners to or the Patreon listeners to to seriously weigh in. I uh, when I drop this episode, I will put a a a poll on Patreon because because it's a thing to do. <laughs> anyway. Um okay, so when we drop the next episode hopefully it shall be right before we go to mid-Ohio. So let's use the rest of our time here to talk mid-Ohio. We are rolling deep with a crew in an RV down to mid-Ohio this year. It's going to be freaking insane. We we might be taking two vehicles. We might take a, a toy hauler RV with a trailer as well. It's We're going to be rolling thunder across the country. And when we hit mid-Ohio all hell is going to break loose um the misfits are pulling out some deep deep shit they i do you know that liza is flying Haley bell in from the uk for this shit really yeah um the 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 the, the misfits Apparently, have Liza has gathered a crew of batshit crazy women that she thinks will top my burnout performance from last year. Now, I argue that it's in a way impossible to beat my burnout from last year. If anyone needs a refresher, I took Swig's tangerine stella scooter which is a, a vespo 150 px 150 recreation essentially and i did a burnout naked with fireworks coming out of my captain america helmet whilst smoking two cigarettes and having beers poured in my mouth and the crowd chanted usa 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 including the president of the American Motorcycle Association.
1: I think it was a senior board, but yeah. There was incriminating evidence. Well,
0: there were two board members, but I believe one of them was the president, which was confirmed on video (laughs) the next day by Liza. Uh, So, yeah. Now, will someone be able to Will someone be able to top that performance? Perhaps. But no one else will... No one will ever be able to take it from me that that was the performance that raised the bar. Right? You know, we... We, um... What was, what was, who was the, the, the runner that broke? Like the people thought it was like the, the unbreakable time barrier. Like, like the, like the, like someone thought it was like, I can't remember which hundred yard, uh, however many yard dash, but no one thought you could break 10 seconds. Right. Um, that's a bad example. Cause I can't conjure the name. Do you mean, are you thinking of Roger, Sp- uh, Roger Bannister? That sounds right. Um, the i'm just trying to think of something like a record that's a record that's been beaten but still memorable right um like the tony hawk 900 right you know people have done more 900s and people have like i don't think anyone's done a 1080 yet but people have You know, Tony Hawk's done a few 900s, but there are people that, you know, can just bust them out with these and, and have done, you know, the people have surpassed many of those moments, but everyone will remember Tony Hawk doing a 900 for the first time, Mm. right? It doesn't matter if someone does a 1080, it's going to be like, oh, remember the first, like, we thought a 900 was not possible. And then boom, Tony Hawk does it in competition, and and it doesn't matter how many people can do it after that or can top it, right? It's such a moment. I argue that in the history of the AMA, my naked burnout is a no one will ever raise the bar as as far as I raised it in one move, right? So you're saying
1: that was your 900?
0: It was it was my 900. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> okay. So anyway. Um, it's going to be so everyone has that on their mind it it doesn't matter if anyone tops it what people need to know is that there are teams of people flying in to try to top that this year i feel like all I, a very wise person said to me at AMA vintage days last year when asked if they were going to recreate, because let's remember the previous best performance was lighting a tire on fire, and you know, the day before I did my naked burnout, people were like, "I mean, he was—they lit his tire on fire while he was doing the burnout. I mean, how do you top that? I—I don't, I don't know if you can, right? Well." <laughs> they hadn't met me yet. But, but um, you know, Phil said to me, he said, you know, I so if Liza was trying to get Phil to say, like, oh, are you going to like do something crazy again? And Phil goes, fuck no. I did the crazy thing. And then you just get to sit back and just remember about that crazy thing that you did. What? I don't need to kill myself trying to top myself. That's for other people to do. I don't have to top myself. Right? So, AMA Vintage Days is not to be missed this year because, not because MotoGP might do another crazy thing. It's that everyone else now has to up their game in order to hang. So you need to go there to AMA Vintage Days this year to see other people do shit that they wouldn't normally do. I, because it's going to get, fucking weird this year i mean let's say i'm not gonna do anything right we've got a three-wheel honda gyro canopy right we've got an ssr 125 with a nos kit on it and no front brake and that shit is gonna and, and it um it's got an automatic clutch it is going to fucking dominate the barrel racing can you imagine a more perfect vehicle for for the for the barrel racing cuz I can't. I, maybe if it was electric, but that's still not weird enough. I have a I'm amassing a collection of dildos, animal print fabrics and doll heads so we can weird out a vehicle. <laughs> I really want to see like how many like doll parts and dildos we can get on that one, two, five while we're barrel racing. Um, but yeah, it, it, if you've never done it, uh, it, it, forget, fuck Sturgis. This is the thing to go to. This is Sturgis for the rest of us and for most of us. This is the big thing to do. And I urge you, go. We will be there if you want to find us. Enter the campgrounds and go and just go as far back as you can in whatever direction, and then stop and ask somebody, Where's Kentucky Corner? And then keep going and then keep asking, Where's Kentucky Corner? And when someone, when you finally get to Kentucky Corner, follow the campground like next to the road and we'll be somewhere within about 10 campsites of Kentucky Corner. That's what that's how you're gonna find us. We'll be about we'll be about somewhere around 10 campsites away from Kentucky Corner. Now I, I, I highly recommend you bring beverages for us, but, uh, we'll have stickers and shit and whatever, and you can ride on the gyro and take part in all kinds of craziness. It is an inclusive, super happy fun zone, and all will be enjoyed by everyone. I mean, I think last year I taught a listener to they'd never ridden a, a twist and go scooter, not twist and go, twist, twist, uh, twist select, a four speed scooter, and I let them barrel race my scooter. They didn't hurt it. (laughs) I heard it later, but we we did. That was the thing that we did, right? Um, Let's see what else news. Oh, and um, next week, hopefully, when we drop the episode before we go to Mid Ohio, I think we're also going to drop a movie commentary. We haven't done one for a long time. We have a movie for you. The movie is The Dirt Bike Kid. I think it's on Pluto, and it's streaming for free, commercial-free somewhere else. Let me see if I can find that. The Dirt Bike Kid streaming. Where is it on? <laughs> oh, it's it's completely up on YouTube. You can watch, just watch it on YouTube. 1985, The Dirt Bike Kid. This is absolutely worth it okay so watch that in preparation for the commentary because i know a lot of you don't watch the movie whilst you listen to the commentary but you really should watch this movie the commentary will make a lot more sense because this movie is extremely visual that this is a lot of show me don't tell me and not in a good way so. <laughs> okay uh, with that, whew, uh, we're at we're over two hours. I think this has been a success. I think, I think this defending your moto life game is going to work well, and I think uh, this new direction for made up Motorcycle is going to go well when the listeners send in suggestions. So I'm happy. I hope you're happy. Whew. All right, let's hope that we get through and survive mid-Ohio and continue putting out episodes. Are you ready to go out on this one, Swigs? Yeah, let's do it. All right. And I don't want to die. I just want to ride on my own side. Cool. Send emails to contact@nokamoto-podcast.com. Bye.